What is going on? Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110 wbt Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. I appreciate it. And um, North Carolina's government uh, last week, the most powerful Republican in government, Phil Berger, the Senate president pro tem, longtime opponent of expansion of Medicaid, uh, he, according to the AP story, threw his weight fully behind Medicaid expansion. Uh, what is going on here and uh, what are the prospects of expansion of Medicaid in North Carolina? I've, I've got uh, State Director of Americans for Prosperity, North Carolina, Chris McCoy, joining us now. Hey, Chris, how are you? Doing well, Pete. Appreciate you having me on. Certainly. So do you know, what is the, what's the explanation for why the Senate leader and other senators have now sort of reversed course on their opposition for a decade and now are uh, are now pushing for the expansion. What's your read on that? Um, you know, Pete, I think a lot of it has to do with some pretty powerful uh, forces at work uh, down there in Raleigh. You have a couple of, of major uh, players within the hospital association, the physician association, so on and so forth. Um, that are putting a lot of extra pressure uh, on lawmakers to, to pass uh, Medicaid expansion at that point. In addition, you know, yeah, obviously we've, we've been hearing uh, Governor Cooper talk about it at nauseum for years now. Um, so, you know, I think all of these things are starting to come together on the tail end of our budget uh, that we had from, from last session. And now we're looking at uh, a Medicaid expansion, and there's a vote today, this afternoon in the Senate, uh, on the floor to start pushing this thing forward. And is it your expectation that it will clear the Senate this afternoon? It looks like it looks like it'll clear the Senate this afternoon, uh, or it'll clear the Senate on on the second vote, and if they go for a third vote, most likely. Yeah, um, everything that we've seen, at least. But you know, we're we're feeling uh, optimistic about the House. They've been pretty uh, staunch in, in their opposition to it, uh, even most recently with uh, Speaker Moore. Um, speaking to the press uh, last week on that, saying that there's just not an appetite over on the House side. I just can't can't fathom the reason why we're looking at expanding a, uh, a welfare program that will basically put able-bodied adults onto the government roles. Yeah, and I, about a week ago, or I, I guess maybe two weeks ago, uh, we started kind of rehashing this on the show, going over the, uh, the pros and cons, and, and it, it is remarkable how few of the downsides to expansion are ever actually mentioned in the coverage of the topic it's always just oh it would just expand the roles and give all these people coverage that they don't have and isn't this a great thing and you you mentioned governor cooper he seems to believe that medicaid expansion like solves virtually every single problem that ever arises in the state just expand medicaid and and somehow or another he ties it uh to whatever the most pressing issue is uh, but let's let's go over some of uh, Americans for Prosperity North Carolina's objections to Medicaid expansion and also some alternatives. Right. So you know some of that that you just mentioned through. Right. You, you're always getting things where they talk about the rosy side of this. What they're not talking about is how much expansion actually costs. You know, we're lucky, right? We're 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 one of the last states in the in the country that has looked at this. We've been dealing with it for years on end, but we have the benefit of seeing what other states did in the fallouts there. You know, you're talking uh, over in Colorado, the expansion cost more than a billion. In Louisiana, it was 1.3 billion. These are over, you know, estimated um, numbers that they originally put out. Ohio, 
um, right now. 38% of the state budget is Medicaid spending. That's up from 21% before the expansion. Um, you know, and then obviously school uh, funding and, and education funding is huge right now in North Carolina. The Harvard study in 2018 said that for every $1 increase in Medicaid spending, it reduces per pupil higher education funding. Uh, you know, we're talking by about two and a half dollars. So, you know, everything that we're seeing right now with the with the expansion, right, just on a cost basis, is staggering. And and what could happen down the road? Now, never mind that we're putting uh, folks that are able-bodied on the government rolls. And of course, you know, they do talk about the opportunity uh, to be able to remove those individuals should they not meet the requirements. But got to ask you, when was the last time we really had? government forced people off of their their government roles it's uh, it's been a long time if if it's been recent i'll tell you that yeah and i thought that there was something in the uh in this latest expansion that actually would prevent states from cleaning up the eligibility roles we went over it a couple of days ago uh th- there's actually prohibitions on keeping the roles uh leaner and so people get into it and then don't get off of them and that seems to be uh, kind of what you're talking about, these overages, more people, I think it's also referred to as the woodwork effect. People come out of the woodwork, essentially, when you offer stuff for free, shockingly enough, people take advantage of the free stuff. And um, Medicaid is already plagued by all sorts of waste, fraud and abuse and errors that uh, don't seem to have been sufficiently fixed, which is why I, I think Berger's uh, shift has kind of surprised so many people. But as you mentioned, I think the Speaker of the House has indicated that there's really not an appetite for this over in that chamber. So he does not expect there to be any movement on this in the short session. Um, Although there will be a vote uh, in the state Senate uh, this afternoon, as you mentioned. So let me ask you about Senate Bill 249. This is the SAVE Act. You guys are uh, supportive of this. Alternatively, the safe, accessible, value-directed, excellent Healthcare across America, uh, across North Carolina Act, the Save Act. Um, so, what does the Save Act do, and why are you guys on board with this? You know, essentially, what the Save Act does is, it, you know, instead of a single payer system, what we're trying to get to is a more personal option for everybody, where uh, we're opening up the ability for um, the free market to, to run its course in North Carolina. And usually, what happens whenever we do that, great things come come about from it. So, what the Save Act does is it'll allow nurse practitioners to be able to practice at their full practice authority. And what that specifically means is these people went to school for a long time. They're highly educated. Um, they've been trained specifically in all of the procedures that uh, uh, this is this uh, bill will specifically reference. Um, currently, they have to do all this under the supervision of a physician. And what this bill will do will allow them to get outside of that um, that umbrella from them. Uh, what it does is it helps to reduce costs in healthcare, um, and at the very least stabilize those costs. Uh, but it gives more freedom and it, the ability for those nurses to be able to use their education to its maximum to benefit uh, the citizens in North Carolina. Um, we've been advocating for that for several years. They rolled that into this omnibus uh, Medicaid bill as well, um, which you know isn't a great situation to be in from that standpoint either. Another piece that, that we like is certificate of need reform, which is kind of a convoluted and complicated um, concept, but uh, it allows the expansion of medical facilities without having to go through a government bureaucracy um, to get approval to do so. 
Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of little things that go into this that, that create, you know, roadblocks and it increases the cost of, of doing business in North Carolina. What we're trying to do is be able to rip down those roadblocks and decrease the cost so that, you know, the cost for healthcare lowers and that more people will actually have access to it. And if people want to see more of this analysis, americansforprosperity.org, right? That's the, is that the national site or is that you, is that the state site as well? You can get there through that Americans you can get for Prosperity. There, yeah, but- that's the national site, and then uh, you can go down there and select North Carolina on the drop-down menu, and it'll take you straight to all of our uh, all of our details and all these issues. All right, Chris McCoy, the State Director of Americans for Prosperity, North Carolina. Thanks for your time today, sir. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, Pete. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Uh, also, uh, just before the show began, the uh, Senate Rules Committee, I believe it was, uh, just passed out on a voice vote uh, medical marijuana. Uh, and so that's going to go to the full Senate for a vote now. I think that's expected tomorrow. All right. Thanks again to Chris McCoy from Americans for Prosperity. I'll go over some of their analysis on this Medicaid expansion. Uh Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger, the most powerful Republican in state government. Um, last week, I guess it was last week, he reversed course. We covered it at the time. Uh, he reversed course and uh, said, okay, now he's okay with expanding Medicaid. He uh, actually last fall said that he was willing to consider expanding Medicaid as part of the budget negotiations last year. Um. Now he says this is part of a big package uh, on health care access. Gary Robertson reporting at the AP. Um, Berger said at the news conference, quote, if there's a person in the state of North Carolina that has spoken out against Medicaid expansion more than I have, I'd like to meet that person. I think expansion is the right thing for us to do. Even if the measure clears the Senate, odds for full passage appear long. Because this is the short session. So for folks who don't know, North Carolina runs on a two-year legislative session uh, schedule or calendar. The first session is the long session where they you know, do most of their work. They craft the budget and all that. The short session is just for budget adjustments. And if there's you know anything pressing that has to occur. But they generally don't do the short session for very long. Um, and it should end around July 1st. So about a month. House Speaker Tim Moore, according to the AP, said there's not the time to negotiate such heavy legislation before then. And GOP colleagues in the chamber are not anxious to address it now. A House Senate study committee looking at expansion and health care access also has not made recommendations. Now, the bill that uh, is expected to pass this afternoon in the Senate and you heard Chris McCoy talk about it, they've thrown a bunch of different policies in their sweeteners, if you will. This omnibus idea, right, where you throw in a whole bunch of different things in order to either jam up your political opponents on a tough vote so you can run, you know, campaign ads against them. They voted against expansion. Well, no, I voted for expansion, but I voted against all these other things or vice versa, right? One of the things that's in the package is, changes to the certificate of need law in North Carolina or the con, the C-O-N, which is kind of a con. But anyway, the C-O-N laws. 
If you're new to North Carolina, you probably have never heard, or if you're new to politics or the medical field itself, certificate of need. This is where essentially the state determines whether or not there is a need for medical services, hospital services in a particular geographic area. It's the most asinine thing I've seen in state government. It, it really is ridiculous. Here's a, uh, a good example. Years ago, when I uh, went up to, I was working in Asheville, I had just got up there, and there was um, a facility proposed. I believe it was for, I think it was like an intestinal kind of, I forget, gastrointestinal thing. They wanted to open up a doctor's office, a clinic or, uh, of some kind. And they had to have all these machines, equipment, and that sort of thing. And it was right on the county line. And so you had these two different hospital systems. right? And their territories went right up against each other. And so here comes this, this clinic that wants to open right in the middle. And it was affiliated with one of the hospitals. I forget which one. I don't remember all the details. But uh, they ended up going to a public hearing. I'm not kidding. They have a public hearing where people show up. And debate, just members of the public, they come out and they're like, I don't think we need these colonoscopy services here. I think we have enough. Oh, okay. And you're an expert in colonoscopy services or something? Do do you know this? Do you you know the per capita rate here of colonoscopy doctors and services and need and all this? It's ridiculous. If a clinic wants to open and there's a demand enough to satisfy, uh, that can be satisfied by the opening of that facility... People are going to put capital on it. They're going to research it. They're going to open. And if they're profitable, they'll stay open. And if they're not, they'll close. That's how that happens. That's how that works. But in this state, we have the hospital systems, essentially, and these medical uh, field uh, practices. That they're, they're constricting competition through the CON. So now you've got a policy that the hospitals want, Medicaid expansion, and you have the CON stuff that they might not. What to do? News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, or 704-570-1110. And 1-800-WBT-1110, you can also email Pete at the Pete Callender Show, that is Callender with a K, and uh, also hit me up on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. I try to follow back everybody, unless you have zero followers and you don't post anything, then I'm kind of suspicious. That says red flag. That's sus, as the kids say. Um, So North Carolina State Senate looking to expand Medicaid despite a decade of opposition by the Republican-led chamber and the Republican leader of said chamber, Phil Berger, who reversed course, uh, gave some hints about it last year. Now he's uh, on board with the expansion. And at a news conference the other day, he said, uh, why now? Well, first... We need coverage in North Carolina for the working poor. Second, there is no fiscal risk to the state budget moving forward with this proposal. I'm not sure I agree with that. And the Medicaid program has been overhauled in recent years so that it can handle additional consumers without creating state budget problems, he said. Meanwhile, over in the House, Tim Moore, the Speaker of the House, said, look, expansion has been one of the most contentious issues for years I don't see an appetite for it right now among his uh, 
his House colleagues. There's also a House Senate study committee that's looking at expansion and health care access, but it has not yet made recommendations, according to the AP. Um, Senator Joyce Kravich, a Forsyth County Republican, also an opponent of expansion, but who is now shepherding the measure out of the Senate. Now she's on board. She says, quote, we are not likely to ever get a better deal than what we are being offered now. The bill directs that a work requirement for expansion recipients be developed and presented to federal Medicaid regulators for approval. Okay, so the state Senate, their version of this, has a work requirement. So you're not just going to be subsidizing people who are refusing to work. Oh, okay, well, all right, I'm listening. What's that? Yeah, slight problem. Those types of work mandates have been struck down in courts or blocked by Joe Biden's administration. So not really sure if if that's a realistic uh, policy prescription. AP continues, long-term prospects for final passage of the Senate package may have more to do with its non-expansion items, the other things in the bill, in other words. They include significant easements to the state's Certificate of Need laws, which regulate the expansion of healthcare facilities and equipment purchases and the authorization of advanced level nurses to work independently from physicians. That's the other component. So changes to the, the con laws, the certificate of need laws, but also to empower advanced practice registered nurses or APRNs, such as nurse practitioners, certified nurse midwives, uh, clinical nurse specialists. Certified registered nurse anesthetists. Right now, they have to enter into contracts with physicians in the same field before they are allowed to treat patients. If you give them full practice authority, it'll make healthcare more available and less expensive for North Carolinians, especially in large parts of the state that are what they call healthcare deserts. They're, yeah, same concept as a food desert, except. You don't have the health care. Under current law, these APRNs are not allowed to set up their own practices in underserved areas because they are tied down to the supervising physician and his or her office. So part of the bill that we were talking with Chris McCoy about, the SAVE Act, part of that bill will end this artificial barrier and allow for more widespread access to health care. Here's another idea. I say this all the time that care is not coverage and coverage is not care, right? Just because you get coverage doesn't mean you get care. Talk to talk to people who had a less than pleasant experience at the VA, right? They go in there, they have coverage, but what about care? There's an idea it was used up in, I want to say, New Jersey. It's been about a decade since I went over this, but... Uh, and this is one of the other uh, uh, false arguments that is tossed out at the right or people like me who are opponents to Medicaid expansion, who have great reservations about the, this idea. There's this uh, this argument, that, oh, you don't offer solutions, which is so not me. You know me. I'm all about solutions. So the SAVE Act sounds like a pretty decent solution. Repeal the CON uh, laws that are ridiculous. That's a pretty good solution. Here's another one. How about if doctors who donate time 
in free clinics, how about they get a, a reduction in their uh, malpractice insurance rates? Think that might be a decent trade-off? I think, I think a lot of doctors might do that. It's one of the biggest problems that they've got is carrying the malpractice insurance coverage. Biggest, one of the biggest, well, aside from their college tuition, I assume, but um, it's a big expense. So if you donate time in clinics, then you get these offsets, you get reductions in your, uh, your malpractice rates or something like that. You, you can create any, any number of sweeteners like that. See, like, this idea that it has to be done the way it's always been done, that's a false idea, and it's simply there. It protects established, dare I call them cartels, dare I? I mean, kind of, right? Like OPEC, it's kind of a cartel, right? You can't even get, a, you can't even get them to agree on the uh, transparency, the price transparency bill that Dale Falwell, the state treasurer, has been pushing, right? This idea that, hey, you know what? I'd like to know the price of this procedure. Oh, we can't tell you that. What do you mean you can't tell me that? Because they use me to subsidize you and you to subsidize someone else, and they just keep moving the costs around. Classic example, real quick, I go into my doctor's office. This was when I first got an HSA. So this is like 15 years ago. I go in there, and now I've got HSA money, and I'm like, I need to make sure that this, you know, lasts a while and go in for my checkup. And he says, hey, uh, do you want a tetanus shot? And I said, how much is the tetanus shot? Because I started asking, how much is this tetanus shot? And he said, I don't know. Okay, first off, that's a problem. The doctor doesn't know what the cost of the service he's providing is. There's no clarity between patient and doctor, customer and provider, right? So I ask him how much it is. He doesn't know. Uh, Then he goes and he checks. He comes back. He tells me it's like $70 or something. And he said, I wouldn't do it then. His recommendation changed based on the price. Is the juice worth the squeeze? This is a motto you're going to hear. You hear me say it all the time. If you haven't, you're going to. Is the juice worth the squeeze? And it's not. He said, I'll just wait till I step on a nail. I'll come back in and get a shot then. I think that might be the last tetanus shot I've gotten. (gasps) Oh, my gosh, Pete. Well, you know me, living on the edge. I live a little reckless. And I steer clear of rusty nails. Unless it's a bar. If it's a bar called the Rusty Nail, then I, I got to go in there, I think. I don't know. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Thank you, Dan, in West Columbia, West Side, South Carolina. Uh, Pete, a Rusty Nail is half Drambuie Scotch liqueur and half Chivas Regal Scotch on the rocks. That is from listener Dan and former bartender. Cheers. See, this you. This is why you cannot trust anything I say. I thought it was the name of a bar. It's actually a drink. I've let you down. I apologize. Um, now, why... All right, before I say this, I just want to go on the record here and just say, this is my idea. You are free to use it if you give me royalties, but here it is. How about a uh, how about a shot called the tetanus shot, and you take it after you yes after you order the rusty nail, then you have to get 
the tetanus shot as well. Has somebody done this already? Probably. I've never heard of it. I mean, I've, I've never asked for a rusty nail either. So, but that's a great idea if I do say so myself. There are no bad ideas under the cone of creativity. We're just spitballing here. It's a safe space for all of us. It's a safe space. So the rusty nail, then you do the shot of tetanus afterwards. I mean, obviously, it should taste good. It should not taste like medicine. Although, you could do something like that. Like, it could taste like medicine. You can use Jaeger. No, okay, never mind. Um, Medicaid expansion. What has changed in the last few years on Medicaid expansion that is now prompting this uh, reversal among Senate leaders, uh, Phil Berger and, uh, and others, Republicans that have long opposed it? What has changed? Now, I read to you his quote from the um, news conference that he held on this the other day. He has also cited polling. And the uh, Carolina Partnership for Reform put out a poll, and they've been polling on this for years. And they said Medicaid expansion has dominated the health care policy discussion in North Carolina for much of the last decade. We have argued against Medicaid expansion repeatedly since our founding in 2013. By the way, their website is cprnc.org. Carolina Partnership for Reform, North Carolina, CPRNC. So uh, they say there's no denying that Medicaid expansion's popularity, especially with Republican and unaffiliated voters, has grown in North Carolina over this same time period of about a decade. A majority of voters in every party registration group now supports Medicaid expansion. Because I would submit media ignores the counter arguments. They have from the beginning. It's, it, it is a really amazing thing to watch. When you read through the stories about Medicaid expansion, try to see what the counter arguments are as presented by the reporters. Usually, if they even pay any kind of mention of it at all, it's something along the lines of uh, worried about the cost. They just say oh, it, it, that you know Medicaid expanding it would would cost too much money. We don't know if the money is going to be there. It's always like this economic thing. There's there are a lot of components to the opposition that never get mentioned. So when the media coverage just talks about it as it's going to make sure everybody has access to health coverage, which isn't care. And everybody thinks, oh, well, I guess that's a good thing. I I don't want people to not have health care coverage. They should have coverage. Yes, I support that because I'm not a terrible person. So the polling has moved. 68% of likely voters support straight Medicaid expansion and a whopping 90% of voters support Medicaid expansion if the plan includes a work requirement, which, by the way, keeps getting blocked. So good luck with that. Um, From a political and policy perspective, they say these are daunting numbers for expansion opponents. Aha. They don't know me, though. No, no. I... I will look. I have never voted for a presidential candidate who has won either major party. I've never voted for a major party candidate. I have voted for libertarian candidates. I am used to not winning, <laughs> right? I am used to it. So you you don't have any. This does not discourage me. Telling me that ninety percent of the people are misinformed about the correct position. I, I, you think I care about that? <laughs> 
Republicans and Democrats who were around in the late 90s and 2000s undoubtedly remember conservatives' fight against overwhelmingly popular state lottery proposals. I do. I remember that. We used to mock the governor. Oh, give me a lottery. I very much like a lottery. It was his answer to everything. The bruising political attacks Mike Easley leveled against Richard Vinroot and Patrick Ballantyne, who were the two Republican uh, gubernatorial opponents that he had, uh, over their opposition to a state lottery, were a big reason that Easley won his races for governor by comfortable margins in 2000 and 2004. When then-Lieutenant Governor Bev Perdue broke a tie vote in the state Senate in 05 to make us the 41st state to adopt a lottery, Republicans unanimously opposed the bill and neither stopped the lottery nor got anything in a deal to secure the lottery's passage. So, if conservatives are going to put Medicaid expansion on the table in budget negotiations, they need to avoid repeating the same mistake they made when the state lottery passed and make sure they get something in return for it and... That would be reforming the certificate of need laws and put more money into the uh, rainy day fund as well, they say. Oh, and expand school choice options. So if you're going to if you're going to fold, if you're going to cave, try to get something out of it. Unlike the way the lottery went down, which, by the way, the lottery went down because Jim Black was corrupt. Yeah, held the vote at the. Literally at midnight, so he could do two quick votes while Republicans were out of the country. Uh.